0: Election day is approaching. And in this election, four of the five seats on Portland City Council will be decided, and that includes the mayor's seat. Ozzy Gonzalez is running for mayor. Ozzy's an architect by trade, running on a platform, he says, of a common vision for all Portlanders, a comprehensive climate strategy, and what he calls a government that works. Ozzy, welcome to X Ray.
1: Thank you very much. It's great to be here.
0: Who are you and why are you running?
1: Well, I'm Ozzy Gonzalez, a Portlander. I raised my family here. Like many other Portlanders, I love the outdoors, and I appreciate that Portland offers a balance between great food scene, arts and culture of a city, and being able to get outside and enjoy rivers and trees. I also know how much the livability that we've been known for for so many years is something that we're all watching vanish before our eyes. And I attribute a lot of this to making sure that we have leadership in place that knows how to preserve livability by looking at our issues over the long term. We've changed so much over the few short years and our leadership has not been able to keep up with the pace of change and to adapt themselves. Uh, So I'm at a place where I realize our city needs help. I think a lot of us are feeling that way and we all are trying to figure out what we can do. And so I've stepped forward at a time when I know we need better representation Um, We need a broader palette of lived experience inside of City Hall. And frankly, we need leaders that are not uh, using City Hall as a stepping stone for their own political careers. We need folks that really care about our city and will make decisions on our city, not based on whether they get more electable or less electable for the next term, but whether we are actually helping the citizens of Portland. So I'm very excited to be stepping forward with a background in – the big topics that we talk about, sustainability, climate science, inclusion, those happen to be activities I've been involved with most of my career, so I feel like this is a good time to step forward and uh, lean into helping our city navigate this, the challenges that are in front of us today.
0: If people are going to look at your tracker, track record excuse me, and look at your background, what is something you think they should look to? When they're evaluating the question, hey, could this guy do the gig? Is this the guy ready to be mayor of Portland? What what are the experiences you have that you'd most want to highlight?
1: Well, I think that what you will see in my background is a track record of not being afraid to take a new path, to achieve something that hasn't been done before. I have been involved as an architect and a climate scientist in the last 15 years when we've seen the green building industry get completely transformed. Green building was not a phrase in the late 90s, early 2000s when we were just waking up to this idea of buildings being impactful to the environment. So if you look at my track record, I've been able to accomplish not just being the first uh, Latino to do things, but the first human being to accomplish such things as helping expand green building standards into industrial buildings so that we can begin talking about the environmental footprint of manufacturing sector. It happens to be the lion's share of how our energy, our carbon and our materials are consumed. So being able to have that conversation in the industrial forum was something I started in 2010, and uh, it was uh, not well-received at first, but by 2011, we had broken ground to form the first coalition on planet Earth of industrial manufacturers that were looking at how to eliminate waste from their entire production line. So. Um, there are now um, folks from that coalition that today have established the world's first zero waste production facilities Um, and this is true in consumer products and electronics and um, all of that started years back with recognizing that we needed to find leaders out there in the industrial space I have other examples of things that have been done in green roof legislation and green building policy Um, so When when we're talking about looking for folks that can help us get to those places that we haven't yet reached, um, as we talk about our climate action plan or how to implement the diversity and inclusion that we talk about every turn in our city, well, this is the stuff that you'll find in my track record. I just finished the Portland building, uh, largest construction contract in the city of Portland, it's most aggressive inclusion goals, uh, and we were able to deliver that project uh, under under time, under schedule, under budget, and exceeded all of the subcontracting and workforce diversity goals that had been established for that job. You were the. And I'm proud that you I. Were the, you were the. You
0: were the project manager. You were the project manager on the Portland building, or the architect on the Portland, Portland building.
1: I worked with the design-build contract team. I was the diversity and inclusion program manager, so I oversaw the subcontracting and the workforce development side of the project.
0: Had you ever considered running for office again? I think this is the first time you've run for office. Did you ever consider it before ru- consider running for city council or mayor, or state legislature, or dog catcher, something else? And and and,
1: and it, all that stuff. I've always been a change maker, and I've I've been uh, contracted by government in many cases. Uh, I've actually yeah. No, this is
0: less government. of a decision. This is less of an experience question, more just like a decision making question. Uh, had you considered it before, and why didn't you then? And what changed this time?
1: Thank you. I did. I had not considered office before because I I enjoyed the agility of being able to work through the private sector, and I didn't consider government as the most agile tool for changing and innovating. Um, so there was a lot of work to do in in. How would you change it? Creating new standards for green buildings. How would you but change? How right would you now, change
0: government to make it more agile?
1: Absolutely, and I see the need for our government to step forward. Um, so we have to build bridges with our business sector. Um, I'm walking towards government to make sure we're, that we're establishing a good bridge. Yeah,
0: but say more. When you say government isn't agile enough, what would you do to make it more agile? You say, let's build bridges to the private sector. Does that mean lower regulations? Does that mean having an office of small business? Say more about uh, what those bridges look like or what that agility might look like.
1: Absolutely. I think the, the number one approach that, I, that is different for me is that I know that well, there's a carrot and there's a stick in the world. Not everything has to be done through a tax and a government program and a mandate. There's a lot of opportunities to deal with homelessness, for example, in our city, where we have um, private businesses investing in security patrols for sidewalks, or even being willing to purchase buildings like the Wapato facility and convert it to, be, to provide services. They're doing all of that without a mandate, without government participation. In fact, that's one of those examples where government could help accelerate the great investment of a lot of people by becoming a partner. So sometimes it's about government getting out of the way of people that are trying to do good work and maybe even supporting them to try to achieve things like a mixed-use development that has affordable housing and workforce housing. Um, We have to be able to navigate how to make it easy for people to do those things, not make it difficult.
0: Where else should... So you're in favor of the Wapato facility being used as, uh, as for homeless services. Uh, presumably you're also in favor of it being used as a, maybe a fever camp or some uh, some equivalent of facility Absolutely. For, for COVID-19. What are some other ways... And that's sort of government getting out of the way. It's sort of government uh, providing an asset, right? That was a government-paid-for building. What are some other examples of government getting out of the way that you think the uh, city of Portland should embrace?
1: Sure. Uh, I think our affordable housing uh, um, and our housing conversation is another good place. We have, uh, the city owns some land, and the city has a bond measure out for affordable housing project. Well, we have, uh, we had a goal. A few years back, the bond was passed. We had a goal of a thousand units um, within the first three years. We're far short of that goal today, and in big part, it it's a demonstration of the, the lack of agility that occurs within public agencies. We created a program, we're rolling it out, we've got the Bureau of Housing rolling out this project at their pace, and, and truth be told, they're working hard. It's not easy to develop projects, not for anyone. But we're, we've been, uh, we're not able to maintain the pace that some of our um, developer partners in our own city um, have been able to demonstrate. And they've been showing willingness to do some projects as well. Uh, so instead of stymieing the permitting process or, or not supporting a permitting process that helps them understand the requirements more in advance, that will delay a lot of projects, a lot of developers get cold feet, and it's holding up a lot of investment in our city um, simply because of the, the lack of reliability of what the permitting process is. That's one of the examples. So let's talk about uh, permitting. It, it, examples.
0: It, every... I'm trying to remember if there's ever been a mayoral candidate who had a chance to win who didn't end up talking about the duration of the permitting process. And I am one. are there cities that you look at that share to some degree our priorities with respect to social justice, with respect to climate, who do permitting really well? And maybe you'll just get, we'll just move this to a former government question, but what would you do about the permitting process? What do you think is wrong with it and or how would you make it super great
1: well uh first of all yes i think there's a lot of opportunities to improve it and i'm not just speaking theoretically here this is coming from 15 year career in architecture where i've pulled more permits from more agencies than everybody in city hall combined and i think that i could probably even tack on a couple of administrations to that statement because i i uh, have had that uh, opportunity to work at, at cities uh, with different countries around permitting. So when I tell you that we have an opportunity to improve, I know that because there are other places that do it much better. Um, we have opportunities to digitize a lot more. I know that um, there's been talk about that, but uh, we can accelerate that transition. We had a 2009, 2010 recession. That created a lot of turnover in the permitting department. So once we bounced back in 2012 plus, um, the staffing that came in did not bring in that institutional knowledge. So it created some uh, friction. Let's was, say, it, was it turnover because process.
0: was it turnover because the city had to fire people because of budget concerns? Was it turnover because when things uh, resurged when the economy started to grow, uh, some of the people who knew what they were doing in the permitting department were getting hired elsewhere?
1: Uh, it was both of those things.
0: Why do you think the the digitization, if I can say that word, has in the way that you would recommend it, why do you think it hasn't happened, or at least hasn't happened at the pace that you'd like?
1: Well, this is where leadership really steps in. We need folks that know how to set the right priority level on things. This is the kind of project that isn't very sexy. Doesn't It's one of those preventative measures. You have to invest and train and adapt a system. Um, this is the sausage making that doesn't get a lot of fanfare. And when you have elected officials that don't want to look bad and don't want to look like they're investing in things that don't that don't get a lot of um, resounding applause right out the gate um, then uh, this becomes challenging to do and See, this is where we are today so it's That's, why our, our that's our a critique system's bad it's why our arts are struggling we don't have leaders that can invest in the things that are not being screamed about is
0: so your critique of Ted Wheeler is that he is only investing or primarily over-investing in the things that are getting a lot of yelling and not investing in the things that you think are higher priorities? Absolutely. What is the biggest barrier you face to getting elected as mayor?
1: That's a great question. Um, And I'm going to say it this way. It's going to be comfort level for our city. We are accustomed to a city where we know everybody. We know where they grew up. We know their parents. And getting acclimated to the idea that Portlanders come in all shapes and sizes, and there's many Portlanders out there that we may not know what their storyline is from their families. This is the part of the psyche of our city that is having to adapt to a city that's grown a lot in a short period of time. So even though uh, I've raised my children here, they went to PPS, I have volunteered from the PTA on up through my professional associations and throughout the Hispanic Chamber and all these places in our city, um, yet the challenge I have is um, being accepted as a Portlander, frankly. And this is because when are challenging the identity of what, what it is to be a Portlander.
0: How long have you lived in Portland? When you say identity as a Portlander, do you mean as compared to Ted Wheeler because... You know, he's multiple generation Oregonian. Do you mean because uh, because you're Latino, because you're next member of the community? Do you mean it because you haven't lived here very long, or because you've never elected anything? Which of those things uh, seem more challenging?
1: Well, I'll tell you this: uh, the the three I'd say every time I go into a debate, I'm standing on the stage with three folks that begin by saying, "I am a native Oregonian or a native Portlander." Um, I I. I'm um, first generation here in Portland. This is the only place I've ever chosen to live. My wife and I were very clear. We met in the Pacific Northwest in 1995, and we fell in love and knew this is where we wanted to raise our children. So it's been uh, 16 years for us in the Pacific Northwest since we got married and made that decision. But it's something that um, to this day still comes with the question um, but where are you from? And uh, I'll be honest, being a Latino in the United States, you're gonna get that question no matter where you are. And that's just what it is to be, to be who I am in this moment in time. But um, that's, one, that's one of the challenges, is having folks that can, that can feel like we can talk about inclusion, we can talk about climate change, but it's one thing to choose that, that new voice when we say we want an underrepresented voice do we choose it when it's given the option? That's the challenge I'm presenting our, our city to make.
0: So I think you just said, I want to make sure I'm not putting words in your mouth, I think you just said the biggest barrier you face is not that you've never been elected or anything. You think the biggest barrier you face is, is in fact that you are a Latino.
1: Absolutely. I think it's a challenge for folks with to accept that notion as someone who can have government experience. Um, I'm the only one who's been asked the question, what is your government experience uh, on a consistent basis to this day? Yet. Uh, I serve on the TriMet board, it's a policy advisory board, and I've helped from the U.N. to the Department of Defense on policy. So um, when it comes with a policy government background, yet still having to prove that, um, that's one of those different sort of bars that you get held to um, when you're walking in as an underrepresented voice. You don't um, think Now sa- it's all happening in the light.
0: You don't think Sarah Anarone gets that question to a, a significant degree?
1: Well, I'll, I'll put it to you this way when when sarah walks up on a stage and says i am a policy wonk i am the only one with a climate plan um n- no one second guesses or questions that statement i don't think i could get away with saying i am a policy wonk even though i'm actually writing transportation policy as we speak those uh those questions get but but are you really but but prove it do you have the degree did you publish the paper um and you know i've I've got a master's degree in architecture and I'm getting asked if I'm really an architect. Uh, I don't think Sarah's being asked if she's a sustainability uh, specialist where uh, I don't think her resume shows delivering the sustainability consulting. So I think it's just being able to have that, um, that what I would call that vote of confidence where you don't have to go and doubly prove or provide the birth certificate as it were. You, you can just say, yes, I'm from here. Um, it's that difference that I think starts to uh, be shown in how much people are willing to say, Oh, this person that says they have a climate action plan is being faithful and honest, and I can move forward with them. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a bit different of a reception out there. I, I appreciate
0: your candor on it, I appreciate your perspective. Switching uh, gears. Oh, it's real. No, no, I hear, I hear it. Well, how, how, so how do you deal with that? How do you. Is it something you address, like you're kind of addressing here? Is it something you could try to avoid so as not to sound like a broken record? How do you.
1: You that. know, you, you don't let it define you. Uh, it's been all my life. Uh, I, I, I had a very, uh, a very palpable moment at the age of 10 when I knew that life wasn't going to define my standards for me. The, the standards that the world sets on a, a young uh, brown male, especially in the time I was growing up, were not very good. And so I knew I had to set my own standards. So I don't worry about whether I am getting uh, the praise the accolades, the recognition for what I do, or whether people are deriding me or or saying something negative, I know at the end of each night when I go to bed, um, it's what I did, it was my intentions and my effort that that I have to hold on to. And so, you know, I've been able to uh, accomplish a lot. My wife and I are both first generation. We spoke English as a second language, and and here we are now uh, doing amazing things. She's a physician and I served on the TriMet board, first Latino to do it, uh, potentially the first Latino mayor, and none of it is because I have been a Latino. But now more than ever in politics, that packaging tends to take center stage in uh, navigating people having trust and being able to vote for me.
0: Well, I have to at least quibble with one thing. You would only be the first Latino mayor as a Latino. We've never, We've definitely never had a non-Latino as the first Latino mayor. That was was dumb. I apologize. I don't know my brother. If you could, if if, if instead of being mayor, if instead of being mayor, what you had was a magic mayor wand, and you could do a single thing. I could ask this question a bunch of different ways. I'll ask it this way: Do a single thing that only the mayor could do. What would that thing be? What's
1: your top priority? That only the mayor could do. Well, this is why I'm running, Jefferson. The mayor has the unique ability to set the table of a, uh, and convene a group of folks and set the agenda of a conversation. We have so many conversations that need to be had right now and all of them require a lot of different voices. So being able to set that table, set the priority for something like housing or climate change and bring the right group of people together that can, that can implement it, that is the thing that the mayor's podium can do That. City council doesn't have the same and I'd say even mayors of other cities within the region don't carry that same ability so um, this is something uh, that drives me to go to that seat because there's big conversations that we need to have in our region and having a leader that can convene folks set the right table with the right standards of, of code of conduct um, so that we maintain respect even among disagreement that's the skill set that I see missing most and why I'm motivated to move forward
0: to make sure I'm hearing you right, so for you, that first magic mayoral wand—if you could only do one thing—it wouldn't be about a particular policy outcome or particular uh, a particular project accomplishment. It would be a—it would be, in fact, setting the table. Talk about the shape of that table. Talk about why. Make the case for why that's the most important thing and how you do it.
1: Well, with with such a, a complexity now and and a broader Palette of voices. We're no longer at a place where we can count on uh, on having everybody agreeing all of the time. This is a moment where we need the kind of leadership that can bring voices that don't agree with one another, and that may not even feel like they can trust one another together. And to keep them in the room.
0: Yeah. So, what does that mean? That's what is the what is the current mayor doing or not doing that violates that set of general principles, or what specific would you do to enact those set of that set of principles?
1: Well, for example, we have a Portland Clean Energy Fund right now. That's a policy that was passed overwhelmingly by the voters, and since its passing, there's been this growing tension. Um, between the voting public that really cares about this policy and wants to make sure that the promises that voters voted on are going to be delivered, and we have a growing sense of nervousness within the business community that, that has this um, new tax, this revenue tax, that wasn't very clear how it was going to be applied at first. So there's been a lot of conversations about how to really – sharpen our pencils around what this thing is going to look like in the real world. We have yet to establish a setting where the business community that's getting taxed or feeling the, the fears of how this will impact their, their funding streams um, and the people that are going to be looking to be beneficiaries or grantees to do some of the work with those funds, those two groups have not been sitting down together. And there's a lot of distrust as to Um, Is someone going to try to weasel this money away from the community? Um, And I'm going to make sure I defend this from them. Uh, We are talking about community investment as though this is a Robin Hood kind of scenario where someone is getting robbed and and they better be kept away um, or else we won't get that fund. So when you say they're not going to get us the best.
0: When you say they're not sitting down together, you mean... So the dynamic was this was a grassroots thing that got passed. This did not come because yeah. the Portland Business Alliance or, you know, the, the some constabulary of insiders said let's get this done. This actually did happen because a group of activists and because uh, communities of color in this town worked to get it passed. And now you've got folks like the Port of Portland and uh, and some of the some of the folks in the larger businesses who are saying, "Uh-oh." what's this going to cost us when you say they're not sitting down together what does that mean when you say well, we're going to because because i will say it's uh, on one hand it could be pablum oh let's just have the right conversation on the other hand the shape of the table can matter a ton it could be re, it can in fact be Cute. the very first thing making sure the process works can impact the results when you say they're not sitting down together what do you mean and what would you do what has the mayor done wrong or what would you do differently
1: well, let's think of it this way. The Portland Clean Energy Fund's objective is to create green jobs and to bring the frontline community forward to help pr- be, become beneficiaries of the green jobs economy. So we're not just talking about folks from East counties putting in solar panels for fancy homes in the Southwest Hills that, uh, um, that were produced in China. We're talking about creating new jobs, new industries here with Portland companies that are going to be producing the green solutions of the future. So this is a, a workforce development, this is an economic development strategy that is actually talking about building industries. Yet, PGE, Northwest Natural, have not been at the table of, of, under, of having the conversation about what this PCF fund will actually be able to accomplish, how it impacts those utilities, They've been kept at arm's length. And I'd say, you know, there's, there's a lot of folks that need to be at the table, but excluding some of the entities that are going to be part of this transition from the table is not getting us the kind of conversation we need.
0: What's your greatest leadership strength?
1: It's, it's in empathy. I know how to listen, and I know how to understand that my worldview is, is just that. It's my worldview, and it's not the only one.
0: What's your greatest leadership weakness?
1: Impatience. I like to see when we have a brilliant idea that we want to accomplish, um, I want to see it brought forward. I'm frustrated that we have not yet achieved a sustainable global economy, even though we've been talking about it, Um, that we don't have uh, a renewable energy portfolio that allows us to walk away from fossil fuels. But I know that we have to make those transitions. So I go and find the right policy, the right technology, the right innovator, and I try to lift them forward so that we can make that transition faster.
0: How does that impatience impact you? I mean, there's always a danger of me asking that question because people, you know, typically ask that question in interviews. So oh, I'm a perfectionist, or you know, what are your? I work too hard. I lack work-life balance, no. right? So, right? How does impatience? No. Actually, manifests itself in a way that has hurt your ability to get projects done.
1: Uh, see, then you double down on that difficult question. <laughs> I I'd say uh, it's it's happened in the form of I'd say taking less than the ideal path for for instituting something. So, for example. Um, we have, uh, when green roofs were first created, they were not legal. They would violate uh, roof warranties. They uh, would confuse the roofing contractor, um, and it was a, a really wonky thing to first do. Um, we had to, uh, early. some of my early projects had to make some decisions on um, taking a chance, voiding a warranty, um, and potentially creating a, a liability for a code violation um, because they wanted to try if a green roof worked or not um, versus go through the process of creating the white paper to do the roof and and to make it legal. Um, That's an example where we ran out of patience to try something, and we said, this is going to be a test. We're going to accept it as such, and we're going to write the white paper using this roof as an example, not waiting for the white paper to to allow us to do the roof. that was one of those places where you've got to try a new idea to be able to say, is it viable? Um, there's a lot of uh, examples of that in my career where where we've had to try something um, and, and you have to fail forward.
0: According to most recent data I've been able to find, uh, Sarah Anarone has raised about $280,000, the mayor's raised about $120,000, you've raised a little less than $50,000. You decided not to run public. You decided not to seek public financing, at least as far as I can tell. Uh, how come?
1: Well, um, the public financing program is, a, is something I voted for, first of all. Um, but I knew going in as a candidate, it was a very different proposition. We have an incumbent who's running who did not have a hard time having getting money last time. Um, I was not anticipating that to be a challenge this time and they weren't going to be using the system. Um, I didn't want to be playing by a different set of standards, first of all, than the incumbent. That,
0: and all, I hear that. That's a, it's a good point. Unilateral disarmament is a different thing than having an arms agreement. What was the discussion oh, absolutely. like? absolutely. Yeah, what was the discussion?
1: Absolutely. The Achilles heel is that it was optional. And, what, and was, what was the when, discussion when like?
0: Saw, oh, go ahead. F- finish your thought.
1: No, when I saw our incumbent going, going through that, with that option, I said, well, I'm, I'm not going to be playing by a different set of standards. He's the guy I'm running against. And, and then second of all, the, the standards were still being written. They, they, um, even to this day, they had a couple of uh, conversations at, uh, towards the end of the last year about whether the funding was going to be enough for all of the folks that were going to be using it. There was a lot of lessons that were being learned about that program. And with so much uncertainty on it, I said, nope, I'm taking the clean path where I know that the people that are contributing to me are, are actually supporting me directly. So the, um, so but, the clean the path, let, let,
0: me, let, me, let me, and maybe this will get to your final reason, but a related question, and then I'm going to want to ask you to say anything you want, just if there's something that we really left out, something that I failed to ask that you think is the most important thing that we should be facing in the race, and I say that just so your right brain can be considering it for a moment. But still, on the campaign finance thing, just about 90% of Multnomah County voters, 87% of city of Portland voters, voted in favor of campaign finance limits of 500 bucks. Uh, you decided not to abide by those limits. You, you had some justification, right? There's a judge who said, "Hey, n- until the Supreme Court rules, uh, you, you ain't getting arrested for, and nobody, nobody's gonna force you to turn back the money you raise." Still, though, you would have had a chance. And the mayor, the mayor uh, didn't abide by those limits either. Ha- Sarah Ayron, has, uh, because she's running public. But you would have had a chance to say, hey, mayor, this is a chance for you to stand with 90 percent, nearly 90 percent, over 85 percent of Portland voters and set a standard and a chance to really drive a distinction between you and the mayor. What was the process like either with you in a kitchen cabinet or just you arguing with yourself about the decision not to do that, to make a choice to say, well, I'm going to however the mayor decides to run, I'm going to run that way.
1: Yeah, uh, no, there was a little bit more to it. Um, I also had to account for the fact that in the last 12 years, I've been a mentor here uh, as a volunteer for the small business community, and I've seen companies that uh, started up in 2009 with a one-person shop, mom and pop, you know, son and daughter or father daughter kind of business, and um, they were doing 100k a year. Um, they've so many of those companies. Uh, over the last few years have grown significantly um, here in our region um, to be high, you know, 12-person staff. They, they're, they're pushing $3 million a year in revenues. And um, those are all folks that I've been a part of their growth over the last 10 years. They've been people that have said to me time and again, we wish we had a leader like you in office. We really need a small business champion inside of City Hall. And so when I decided to run Um, It was those group of folks that were my first seed fund that were able to contribute to me and were willing to contribute at $5,000 level. Um, These are people that have never given before to a political candidate. So it felt like an honor to me to have their vote of confidence and their investment in me that way. Um, I anticipated that would be something that I could run with um, and be able to move new voices willing to invest in democracy as a path forward. Um, I also didn't like the idea, going back to that third reason of um, using the taxpayer resource for a campaign. Um, I, I have a little bit of a uh, there's a there's a gut aversion to spending our taxpayer dollars at a time when we're um, we're laying off park city of park employees, you know Parks Bureau employees.
0: So that's that's you coming after the public financing system. Do you regret your decision to vote in favor of public financing?
1: No, I, I, believe, I believe it's a good mechanism. Um, but again, all else being equal, if, if, if we're in lean times, um, tax pay, using taxpayer dollars to give to candidates, um, that can put a lot of faith in the candidates to actually do right by the city. Um, you, you could be an ill-intended person and file some paperwork and qualify. But you wouldn't have been an ill-intended person. Um, pardon me?
0: But you wouldn't have been an ill-intended person.
1: Oh, no, 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 but I'm saying... Um, in, so, in, so I would just, in I, I in want to push back I, a little
0: bit. Your decision Your decision not to accept public financing isn't because some ill-intended person would use the money because you'd be the person. Now, that might be a reason no. to oppose public financing entirely because the wrong person might use the money in the wrong way, and that's why what I remain a little curious about.
1: I say, no, I'm saying I, I support public financing we really need to get money out of politics. I'm just saying the, the the one we have in place today is not the ideal scenario. What would be? It still costs way too much money to be buying attention in the city. And we don't have an even level of, of exposure that we're able to grant candidates. So we're still having to spend the taxpayer dollar to go get that attention.
0: What would be the ideal system?
1: Oh, that's a good one. I believe that there there's... There's an opportunity to actually have um, a voucher system, which is essentially, uh, you can argue that's a little bit of what we have now uh, in, the, in the match, um, but a voucher system that allows people to grant funding towards candidates based on their level of support. Yeah,
0: them. like Seattle is trying um, out. But I,
1: also, but I also think we have, um, it, it would be good to institute some standards within our community for uh, a level of exposure that you're able to grant candidates. Um, not based on viability, but giving them that level of exposure so that the public can get a chance to see what they're about. And it could be every candidate gets a certain number of columns, inches, on, in the paper within a certain period in the campaign, uh, a certain level of exposure on, um, on ads or television spots where there's a space created for democracy to occur well that is a good Uh, segue
0: that is a good segue to my last question which is your final thought the reason we're doing this and again we're talking to ozzy gonzalez candidate for mayor of portland really appreciate your time ozzy part of our vision 2020 series trying to provide a forum for folks without having to pay for it without having to uh just imagine this race should be decided in 30 second spots to get at least a little bit deeper ozzy thank you so much any closing word from you
1: well, I really appreciate your time, and I really uh, care deeply for this city, and I know a lot of us out there do as well. So this is an opportunity to invest in the emergency preparedness version of our government by electing good leaders. So I encourage people, even now in this COVID moment, where looking at campaign um, uh, policy is, seems to be the least of our concerns, I, I say, don't forget the importance Of making sure we have the kind of leaders that take emergency preparedness seriously. This is the stuff we've got to do in advance. So I encourage people to learn up on our candidates. Visit my website at ozzyforpdx.org and check out what I'm trying to do because the the things that our city is uh, challenged with right now need all of us to be paying more attention.
0: Ozzy Gonzalez thanks so much. Stay safe out there.
1: Thank you. You too.